Hi, this is the Robberator, and you can support my mad grab for power and the Sword and Laser podcast by going to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Murray. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. Well, mostly like you. I mean, not not everybody's exactly alike. A We're not trying to ap- say you're all clones. A rough approximation of you. Yeah. R- a variety of people with similar ta- uh, with similar interests. A pastiche of people. A pastiche of amazing people pointed in the same direction personhood yeah i like that yeah in, in these these in these crazy times we need we need a little direction and i think that fantastic veronica is the one to order you in that direction i will boss you around as much as possible <laughs> happy to do it and happy holidays yes this is going to be our last show of of wow is it yeah this is our last show of 2016 yeah, it is. There's only ten days left of 2016. May it rest in peace. Oh my gosh! Yeah, may it may it die in a fire. <laughs> may it <laughs> die burn, in a dumpster fire. Burn in in the in the flaming hell of 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 Hades and. You know what? I wasn't planning on doing drown this, in but the I, river sticks and. I made this list the other day. Let me see if I can find it. Of. The top five reasons I'm glad 2016 is over, none of which are current events related. Oh, okay. These are personal things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got arthritis in my right hip. Wait, you did? Yeah. You never told me that. I did. I told you I had a pain in my right hip, and you said you better check, get it checked did out. Did I? I probably yeah. did that. Someone filed a small claims court case against me. Oh. Someone threatened me. Mm. My dog got diagnosed with bone cancer. Mm. And the Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> five... In order from, f- from fifth to first, <laughs> horrible things about 2016. I will I will take on all of your horrible things and make them my own. No, no, please. Except don't. for the cups. I, would, I was. I don't cups. want you to. I don't want you to do that. It's okay. <laughs> I, I you know you personally, I, I know we're getting a little off topic here, but 2016 mm. was okay personally. It was okay personally. I had a major career shift. Yeah. Um, and a positive one. A positive one for sure. Very yeah. happy with that. Um, Sword and Laser did great. Uh, yeah. DTNS We're has gone well. Yeah. Um, no complaints in, in, in that department. Yeah. So personally, it was an okay year. Um, I had eczema on my eyelids. It's not quite hip. Which I think stuff. most people in the audience are going to be like, what are you talking about? That's horrible. But you should know for Veronica, that's actually mild. Pretty mild. Pretty <laughs> mild. <laughs> as far as health things I've had go wrong. Well, I'm so sorry about your hip. Was that the thing that just recently I was telling you to go to the doctor yes. about? Yes. And everyone in the chat in the in the on the forums was like, "Yeah, you mm-hmm. should really listen to Veronica and go to the doctor." Yes. Once you get your insurance stuff sorted out. Yes. And you did that. Yes. And I was right. Yeah. Well, I was. Mm, you, mm, I, I mean, mm, you were right about what? I was right that it was important. I mean, it wasn't like but, fatal. But still, I could, it's. In a way, it's one of those things where, like, well, not much you can do about it. It's just shitty now, as Louis C.K. Yeah, would say. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I have a shitty shoulder. I understand. Yeah. Well, uh, we are going to get to talking about science fiction and fantasy. We promise. But first, we need to tell you what we're drinking. Uh, and 
I wanted to get rid of some Irish cream, some Carolyn's Irish cream oh, that my it. sister, it's really good, yeah. but my sister had bought some and left it here, God bless her, uh, several years ago. And I was like, we just need to finish this bottle off. So I invented a drink the other night and Eileen liked it so much, Eileen, my wife, that the next night she's like, can you make more? I'm like, well, yeah, there's still a little left. And then last night we finished it. We're like, I'm like, I can't make it anymore. Did you go buy more? I haven't yet. Oh. We're like on the cusp of that decision of like, should we replenish? Uh, but I'm calling it Irish eggnog, although I'm almost 100% certain there's a, a something that, that already has that name that exists. But it's Carolyn's Irish Cream, Bullet Bourbon, a Ooh. splash of coffee, and nutmeg. I'm impressed. That sounds really good. It's delicious. What are, what are the ratios? Is it like three? Like it's like thirds? three parts Irish cream, one part bourbon, and then, like I said, just a splash of coffee and then sprinkled nutmeg. I had a bottle of Carillon's in my cupboard for five years. Yeah. Like just like it's, it's good, but time. It, you don't have occasion to drink. Like it's not something you just like tonight with my mashed potatoes and gravy, I'm going to have some Carolyn's Irish cream. Well, this is the thing. So I did actually go through a phase where Irish cream, whether it be Bailey's or Carolyn's or whatever, was kind of like my go-to get home at night from work and have a oh, drink. Oh, so yeah, that was your that was your evening drink. It was like a little bit before I was like a bourbon drinker. So it was kind of like mm -hmm. drinking light. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the thing that always bugged me was that it has cream in it. Yeah. Like it has actual cream in it. I'm like, how does this exist in my cupboard for this long? I know it's mixed with alcohol, alcohol. Yeah. but it seems wrong. It seems against no. nature. Uh, my dad could explain it to us if he were alive today. Tom's he dad would, is a food scientist. Like he always knew about back tea counts. That's what he called bacteria. I thought it was, oh, for some reason I well, thought it was Well, the back tea count is low enough. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, mm. I had a glass of, of red with dinner tonight. It was a, mm. a red blend Ah, like the things. red wedding. Yeah, it was a red wedding of wine. Of wines. <laughs> it was good. Um, really had, but the the key portion of the dinner was the uh, New England clam chowder pot pie that oh. I ate. So basically, New England clam chowder in a crust. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, that's exactly I what it was. About that. It was so yeah. good. <laughs> um, yeah, if you guys ever are in San Francisco and you want a really good seafood dinner. Go to Red Hill Station in Vernal Heights. It is one of my favorite places. Delicious. But I actually had. Well, you know what? No, I, since you brought oh, it up, okay. I just had sukumen, which is the dipping noodles. The Japanese oh. dipping noodles are kind of like ramen. But oh, you yeah. You were noodles. going to a noodle place tonight. That's right. Yeah. I had sukumen uh, char siu with the pork at uh, Sujitel LA. You don't know that you told me that, but you did because you wrote it in the DTNS Slack. So I knew that. Right. <laughs> And you know who I was going with, too. Uh, yes. Yes. I mean, I, sort of. You I do technically know, person, know who. But yes. I, yeah, right. Uh, the Internet's a wonderful place. Let's jump into the quick burns. So we got lots of Expanse news, which makes me very happy because I'm right in the middle of reading Babylon's Ashes right now and loving it. The full trailer for The Expanse Season 2 with a new premiere date a week earlier uh, is... Uh, out season two of the expanse premieres on february 1st 2017 oh my gosh on it's only a month away I know. <gasps> so i saw those guys last week oh I don't you think did I told you, saw you this ty frank and daniel abraham i did they were in san francisco on book tour on on speaking ah, nice. tour and they did a they did an event at borderlands 
Um, by the way, people, if you guys are sponsors of Borderlands or have been in the past, um, they're still continually trying to support the business uh, using the sponsorship model, and they're about to go through the process once again. So if you want to re-up your subscription, now is the time to do it. Head over to borderlandsbooks.com, and uh, you'll find a place to, to re-up your $100 subscription. You get access to tons of cool stuff, especially if you're in the Bay Area. And one of the things that I have access to as a uh, subscriber, as a, as a member, is early access to uh, author events. And so I didn't think I was going to have time to go because I had plans that day. But, um, but Joe, my friend Joe uh, from, from the forums, was like, you should come to this uh, uh, James S.A. Corey thing. They're, gonna, they're doing a raffle for drinks with them before their book event. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll try. I was kind of late. And I won. What? So, so a bunch of us from Sword and Laser, Ian was there. Joe was there. Um, oh, fun. Yeah, it was really fun. And we we hung out at Casanova and got drinks. They were eating burritos and just chit-chatted. Actually, I talked to Ty for a really long time about baseball. <laughs> oh, fun. So, we would, which he found a relief, apparently, because he was kind of sick of talking about books. I mean, you need a break, right? Yeah. Yeah. At a certain point, let's that's what celebrities always say on the junkets, right? They mm-hmm. just get tired of, of talking about the movie, not because they don't like the movie, but you just you just need to change your pace sometimes. If any so celebrity ever wants to talk about baseball with me, I am I am free. I'm I'm at your disposal. You should do that as a service. It should be a podcast where you talk to celebrities about baseball. Yeah. So that they can have a break. From all different things. Like but like yeah. while they're on tour for other stuff. So yeah. they at least get the mention in, but they can talk about whatever they want. Right, right. Uh, we also have a note from Louie who says there is a cover reveal for book seven in the Expanse series, Persephilis Rising. Yeah, so we're, I mean, I, Babylon's Ashes is out. A lot of you are probably already done with it. I, I was rushing to finish Catalyst, the the Rogue One prequel novel, so I, I didn't get right on it, which I usually do. So I'm still making my way through, but we already have a look at the cover for Persepolis Rising, and uh, it tells you everything you need to know about the book. There's a spaceship and what looks like maybe a planet and some things breaking. So, spoiler, that's what the book's about. Stuff happens. It's intense. Yeah. I mean, that's really what I'm what I'm getting from this right now. Yeah, I know. I, I love this. And uh, there, there's actually more tea leaves to be read, I would think, from the name. Uh, I always look back on the names and go, oh, I should have totally figured out that's what this book was going to be about. So maybe you can do some tea leaf reading there. And I, I bet there's I bet there might be something in that art that that would uh, give you a clue. So they are they're They're straight. There's going to be nine books in the series. Is that right? I believe I believe right. I read that. You've spoken to them more recently than I have. I think so. they even said that on Twitter recently. Okay. Um, but I believe there's going to be nine books. You got two more to go. I am I'm really impressed actually that you've been able to read through all these books in the midst of, of all the other stuff we've been reading. I just like them that much. Yeah. Like I'm not even I'm not even joking. I'm I mean doing I like Ty Kate and Daniel, Daniel too. Series. But there are other authors who I love and I still just I would like to read their books and I don't. These these have totally in, enraptured me. Yeah, I have like one or two series and I'm like that as well. And, you know, increasingly, we'll talk about this more later, uh, Daniel O'Malley is becoming one of those series. Oh, but we'll get to that later in the show. Thanks to Louis uh, for that cover reveal. And then Kenley wrote, for the first time, Wired Magazine's is all fiction, written by science fiction authors. January 2017 issue, 15 fantastic tales from an uncertain future. 
Uh, Kenley says, I'm about four to five stories in, and it's great. Among the authors featured are Charles Yu, Charlie Jane Anders, James S. A. Corey, N.K. Jemison, uh, Gene Thornton, Kevin Tong, and more. So go check it out. It's available now for digital subscribers, probably on the newsstand soon. And a hat tip to Tassie Dave, who pointed out a link where you can go read it for free online. I'm excited about that one. I, they were all tweeting about it for like a week straight, and it was it was pretty exciting. Um, and uh, I, I love that they're they're doing that. I think you know when when you're a, a magazine about technology, writing about sci-fi makes sense in a lot of ways. It, it is sometimes prophetic of our future, and I think that's that's pretty cool. Uh, we also have a post over on Boing Boing, uh, 10 of 2016's most notable African science fiction and fantasy stories. Uh, when this post came out, I was like, this is super cool because we don't get a lot of exposure to international uh, sci-fi and fantasy and specifically African sci-fi fantasy. Um, so you can head over there and, and check up on the list that they posted about. Um, but they uh, the link said, uh, this year, the African Speculative Fiction Society, the ASFS, was launched. The Nomos Award for speculative fiction was announced. Uh, Nnedi Okorafor uh, from Nigeria and the USA uh, won both the Hugo and the Nebula Awards for Best Novella and just goes on to list people from Uganda and uh, all over the African continent. Uh, So pretty, pretty cool stuff here and, and stuff that we'll definitely check out for the future as well. Yeah, Wole Talabi is a Nigerian science fiction writer and editor, and uh, he lives in Malaysia. But last year, he he made a list uh, like this, and he's followed it up again. And so if you're looking for different things to read, you want to find uh, that really amazing story that may not be getting a lot of press everywhere else, go check this out. Uh, we also got a note from Shad here that the first draft of Brandon Sanderson's Oathbringer, Stormlight Number 3, is done and set for a November 2017 release. Sweet. Book three of the Stormlight Archive. The author we've said, that's a wrap, folks. Oathbringer is done at 461,223 words. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, but still much work to do, but we have a first draft. That's almost half a million words. Yeah. Well, and at this point, the November release date could move. That still happens, but he's got the draft. So it's not like it'll move far unless they just decide to tear it all up, which is it does happen, but it's probably unlikely. Half a million words. Yeah. That's a lot of words. words. (laughs) That's a lot of words. All right. Well, now it is time for Bear Your Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. And also, by the way, thank you to everyone who submits to our quick burns. You guys oh, yeah. are the lifeblood of the show. Um, you can head over to goodreads.com and jump into the quick burns thread. That's where Tom pulls all the stories from. And uh, this is uh, this is our official notification to Rob. Uh, we we should start a 2017 quick burns thread. Oh shoot, that's right. Maybe not today, but yeah, within the next week or so. Oh my goodness, yeah, and that's kind of cool because now we have a 2016 like archive. Yeah, uh, the I like stories that. we've read. You can look back. That's pretty neat. Speaking of looking back into our year in review, um, we had a great post from Ian, a different Ian from the one who usually uh, is part of the Sword and Laser in-person book club that we mention occasionally. Um, but he said, I thought I would write an overview of the books read this year. Having a science background and been through quite a bit of diversity awareness, I like numbers. So this is uh, the overall, we had 13 picks, uh, one alt pick overall, seven written by women and six by men. 
Five of the books have straight out female protagonists and three men, with the rest being mixed casts with no clearly identifiable protagonist. Although he says, I would class AFUTD, that's A Fire Upon the Deep. <laughs> it's like I have to remember all the acronyms for all the books as having uh, female leads. And he goes on to say, as for style, I think five of these books are aimed more at the youngish adult market. Uh, he goes on to say, my only quibble about the list is that all but one of the authors was white, which is not ideal. If I go back to 2014, this jumps to a whole four out of 36. Uh, 2014 was a good year and none in 2015. So maybe this could be addressed in upcoming picks. And he says my vote for most interesting book of the year, best is too subjective, would be the fifth season. So this struck a chord with a lot of folks and they started to have discussions about, you know, what is the cause of uh, of a lack of diversity in the race of authors and the ethnicity of authors? Is it because publishing has this bias and it's just hard to find uh, those kinds of authors? And and there's also you know the idea of well should you pick a book because of who wrote it or because it's an interesting book? Uh, and my feelings on these are twofold. I think it's wrong to pick a book just because of race. Uh, I think you shouldn't pick a book because it's from a white guy. You also shouldn't pick a book because it's from a black woman. You should pick books because they're interesting and good books. That said, when you have a system like our publishing system that does tend to give advantages to certain types of authors, I think it's good, and this is for me, to make an effort to find those less privileged voices. And it's not just because that's the right thing to do for those people to give them exposure that they deserve, but also because selfishly as a reader, I'm going to find some really great works that I wouldn't find otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, so so that is always informing our, at least my, my way of picking things, which is I'm not going to not pick a book because of the sex, race, ethnicity of the author, but I am always going to try to find a diversity of picks, different kinds of stories from different eras uh, with different types of tales. I don't want to always get stuck into to having the same kind of stories to read. And knowing that you tend, if you don't do anything else, to find the same kind of author, I'm going to force myself to try to look a little farther afield. So I really like this post from Ian because it's not saying you're doing the wrong thing. It's not saying, hey, you know, the you you should you shouldn't pick any white authors ever. It's saying, hey, here's some stats to kind of help you measure are are you adapting to the inherent bias of the publishing industry? I think we can definitely do better. I, I was very happy with our our you know our our gender uh, balance this year. I think that was I I I didn't do that intentionally. I think it just kind of happened that way. I think Tom, you maybe put a little more thought into it, um, but I think it's it's that that made me happy to see that uh, you know put back on on the thread. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that we have more work to do. And I think that's fair to say. And I think as an industry, that's fair to say. Um, so I hope in, in 2017, we we do make an effort to to be more inclusive in terms of the authors that we reach out to and that we look for and that we read as a group. I think it's, it's important to have a, a diverse selection of voices and opinions. And I think, you know, as, as curators of the club, it's it's our job to do that. And I think sometimes people can hear that and say, oh, so you're just going to pick people because of who they are. Uh, and, and I would remind you that that assumes that 
black authors aren't getting published because they're no good. And that's just not true. Black authors aren't getting published for a whole number of extremely complex and historical reasons, institutional bias. And I personally look at that and say, you know what? I don't know why this happens. I'm, I am not a sociologist who can explain it, but I know it, I know it is happening. I know there are really good works out there that aren't getting the attention they deserve. So it's on me to look a little harder for those works. That's all. Yeah. And I mean, also, it's just a sheer numbers thing as well. I mean, just yeah. in, in the grand scheme of things, there are also just fewer authors in the United States writing in English that are uh, people of color. Um, so it's, it's, it, 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 it is on us to, to, to go that extra step and, 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 you know, bubble the good stuff to the surface. And I think there's, there's plenty to choose from. We just have to guess be what? more cognizant the point of it. The point is to find really good authors, yeah. right? And if the system isn't always giving you, like the system just doesn't, and this isn't even a condemnation of the system. The system just doesn't give you the best authors. Like that's just not the way it works. There's all kinds of other motivations, mm -hmm. profit motivations, personal biases, et cetera. So if you're trying to achieve what is probably an unachievable goal of always pick the perfect choice, you're going to have to look a little outside the system. And you know, it's not going to get better for new authors or, or young authors or people just starting out, if they don't see representatives of themselves, if they don't see a reflection of who they are in, in the people that sites or, or shows like ours are covering, you know, yeah. it, it, there's, there's definitely a benefit there to, to highlight uh, a diverse cast of characters uh, in this industry to, to encourage other people to continue working hard at it and to continue creating content. Um, so I think that's, that's, you know, that's on us as well. You know, another interesting thing that Ian puts in his post, which I think is important, is the characters in the books as well, right? It's not just the authors, because guess what? The authors aren't the characters in their books. And when you talk about role models like you're talking, it if if we picked entire an entire year of black female authors writing about privileged white men that wouldn't do as much for, for role models, right? Because, yeah, you would be promoting the authors, which is good, but the stories would all be... I, I know it's hard to imagine that that would actually even happen, but but the, if the stories were all about rich white men who succeed, it's like, well, those stories aren't, aren't exposing you to something different. So it that's another thing to look at, which is, okay, what are the characters but, in these stories? Is it always yes. a male protagonist? Because if it is, then mm, that's, that's, that's another role model issue, I think. And that's, that's tough too. I mean, you can look at it the total opposite way, which is that if it's a white guy writing in the voice of, of a black woman, you know, he's not going to have the, the same, I mean, unless he's like a really great author, which a lot of authors are, <sighs> Well, it it's hard to be representative of that experience. In too. that situation, it comes down to that's a privileged how perspective. How good is the author? Right. Yeah. Writing someone else's experience. Because you know what, N.K. Jemison does a pretty good job of writing all different kinds of people. Right. You know, and so does James S. A. Corey, and so you know, like good authors are able to pull that off, and it's 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 hard. It's really hard, which is why there aren't a ton of really amazing authors. I know out there. this is I know this is starting to go off topic, but it, it reminds me of this whole this whole discussion of almond eyes. Have you have you ever run across that before? No. She had almond shaped eyes, and it's usually describing Asian female characters. And 
I, I, I thought I read that one day in a book and I was, I was like, they're not really almond. Like my wife's Asian. Her eyes don't look like almonds. Well, and in some ways, everybody's eyes are kind of almond shaped. Like, why is that an Asian thing? And I looked it up and it is a trope that Asian authors are always like, no, that doesn't describe our eyes. That's not how you should describe <laughs> the eyes. Describe the eyes by color, by character, uh, but don't indicate Asian by just saying they have almond eyes. And it was like, that was that was a, a not a revelation, but I was like, oh, that's something... You know, that's something I, I that pushes me as a writer to be like, yeah, okay, how do I properly describe the eyes so that they're just describing the eyes of a person and not going, well, they're Asian, so I'll just use this <laughs> Asian cliche. Or you can just be like Daniel O'Malley in 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 the rook and just be like, Well, he was a Japanese dude that grew up in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he was like, and the accent was very confusing. Um yeah. but you know, there's there's I guess for better or for worse, there's other ways of describing people or yeah, I don't know. But if I guess my point was if, if you're a good author, you don't just fall back on cliches like that. Yeah. All right. We have an email from Jenny, Jenny Colvin uh, at reading envy over on Twitter, a book club person in her own right. Um, who says, uh, hi, Tom and Veronica, you asked on episode 275 for us to write in with what we will be reading over the holidays. I'm most excited to read A Closed and Comet, uh, Common Orbit by Becky Chambers, which I ordered from the UK. I wanted the pretty cover and to read it before March. I loved the first book, A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, so much, and I will also read The Rook. Happy holidays! Um, I'm excited about that one, too. I, I think we've had a, a long way to a small angry planet on our radar for, for quite some time now. So that is something I would actually love to get to in, in 2017 as well. Thank you, Jenny. I will, I will bold it on the list. So that is, she was the only one who actually wrote in to say what they're reading over the holidays, you guys. I'm a little bummed out at you. We're trying to get more engagement, so let us know. There's still time to email us. Are you trying to shame it. them? Are I'm you engagement shaming, shaming them. them? I'm deeply, <laughs> deeply shaming them. Just send me a note or send us a tweet and tell us what you're reading over the holidays and we'll retweet you. Yeah, the kids don't use email. The kids don't. They use Slack. They use a Just Slack. Just send us a snap. Send us a, I, I, uh, uh, uh. I don't know. What are the things that the kids use? Join us on House Party. We'll do a House Party chat. That makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) Do you know what House Party is? It's like a group video one, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why it's making you uncomfortable. I know. I'm like, why would I want? Why would I want that? See, now you're that. You're that. You're that age. I don't want people to look at me after six o'clock at night. Like our old boss at CNET when Twitter launched. Why would people do that? Why do we do that? Well, that's, that's a whole different thing now. <laughs> All right. Well, we've uh, I, I've name dropped the book a few times this uh, month, but you actually had a you wanted to get into uh, we're going to get into the book discussion now and it will be spoilery discussion of right. The Rook by Daniel O'Malley. Um, but first, Tom wanted to jump in and talk about his pick for January, the first book of 2017. Yeah, just want to throw it out there early because I know people might want to pick up a book for the holidays and get a little early start. So Three Body Problem <gasps> by Xixian Liu will be our uh, our pick for January. And of course, translated by Ken Liu, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, so I've, I've had this book on my shelf for a long time and have been wanting to read it. It's an award winner uh, in, in so many different- Many uh, times award over. Ca- yeah, award categories. It's hard to keep track. Uh, but yeah, it's available as an Audible audiobook, as a Kindle, as a hardcover, as a paperback. And it is part of a series- 
but it's a Hugo and Nebula award-winning part of a oh, series. Oh, I'm so, so excited. Or nominated, anyway. I've been wanting to read this for so long. Yeah, me too. Uh, so that will be our January pick. We'll give it an official kickoff with some notes to the patrons uh, in January, and then we'll our first January episode, we'll be kicking it off on the show. Fantastic. All right, let's jump into The Rook by Daniel O'Malley. Um, I'm just going to say off the top, this was another one of those books that seemed to either tickle people's fancy in a big way or or be very polarizing and, and other people just did not get you into mean it like at all. You mean like almost every like book? Basically every book. Yeah. I guess that's being in a book club. It's pretty unusual when the book has got all the same opinion. What do you think was... Never mind. Discussion for a different day. I was going to say, mm. what do you think people... Which book people hated the most this year? Oh, Yeah. Like, what was your favorite book? What what did you dislike the most? What was your least favorite book? I feel like I should start a thread about that and we should jump into I it don't, that way. I, okay, I know that I, I verge on Pollyannaism sometimes, but uh, I can't think of a book I didn't like that we read. But it is interesting to think, okay, if I had to look through the 13 books from this year, which one would I, would, would I, would I put at the bottom mm. of the list? That doesn't even mean I didn't like it. I'm looking at the list right now. Yeah. And uh, all right. So oh, I already know. I already know the answer. It was the Sword of Shannara. <laughs> was my least oh, favorite. Oh, really? Aw. I think so. See, and I, I'm having the reaction that I shouldn't have, which is you're not saying don't you don't me. like the book. You're saying of the books, that's the, oh, but I, they're so good. Did I finish that one? Did I lem it? I don't think I lemmed it. I think if I, uh, at the bottom of my list would be the Time Traders. Oh, Time Traders was iffy. Yeah. Time Traders was a I little liked iffy, it. you're right. I liked it, but it wasn't solid all the way through. And part of that is its age. I mean, all all books have, have issues as they get older. I'm even having trouble remembering what the sort of genre was about, which is hilarious because everybody out there is going to It was about the hobbits me. that leave and go to the destroy the... Oh, no, wait. That's, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry, Terry Brooks. I appreciate you very kidding, much as a person. Kidding, kidding. Anyway, uh, okay, so let's talk about this book. Um, yeah. I, I just loved it. I loved it. And I will get into some of the discussion threads uh, shortly. But I I, I found the, the beginning to be so captivating. And I, I, I felt like it never really let me go after that. Um, Though I have to say, I, I, I was surprised by the, the kind of turn it took because originally I thought that Miffany was more of like a body snatcher kind of situation mm-hmm. because kind of just the way he describes like her, it picks up and the first thing we kind of get is the letter, like the first letter that, that Thomas so we'll we'll refer to new Miffany as Miffany and old Miffany as Thomas because that's kind of how they do it in the book, or at least how Miffany refers to right, her previous right. self as Thomas. Um, it kind of starts with Thomas like explaining, like you know, saying like I'm lost. You know, a new person is waking up in my body, and so I really took that as being like a new person, like a fully formed uh-huh. person is waking up in your body. And so mm. it, it took a while for me to kind of realize that, no, it was amnesia. She doesn't remember her former self. And that's really what it is. Um, but I, I, people had some issues and we'll get into those shortly about the, the, the letter writing and how much exposition it kind of filled in and how it was a, a quote unquote info dump of information uh, for the readers 
that didn't bother me at all. And I don't know if that was because it was, I was listening to the audiobook. And apparently in the physical book or in the ebook, visually they're, they're differentiated by italics or italicies. And so. Yeah, which is a, which is a, a pretty common thing for a letter when you're, when you're reading a letter in a printed book. Right. Um, but overall, I just, I thought the world building was really fascinating and I love how unabashed he is about the crazy powers that people have like they aren't just like little weird powers like things you might not notice if you're walking down the street but they're like one guy has you know the top half of his body is normal and the bottom half of his body is just a a part a fucking cloud he's just like a cloud like his body is like a pink cloud and so for me i was i was just having so much enjoyment at a part of my french i'm sorry i don't normally curse on the show and now i feel very self-conscious about it um but you know (laughs) i saw tom's face too i don't know if we talk about this much but we we actually record the audio version in video (laughs) so we can give each other like visual cues for stuff and so i just saw tom's like disapproving face when i swore anyway um don't you judge me, Merit. Oh, I, I'm not judging you. I'm just waiting for the emails. Waiting for the emails. At least I didn't say Alexa. Um. <laughs> and now we got that one too. Another one in the can. Um, <laughs> but I, I got a lot of joy out of that, thinking about all the different characters and, and weirdness in this world. And I, I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah, I, I found this book delightful. Delightful. I want... I just want to spend more time with Miffany. Mm-hmm. Like she's my new best friend and I just want to hang out and talk about work with her and maybe go get a lovely dinner if she can have time away from missions. Uh, it's just the world is so good in so many different ways. It's it's a comment on bureaucracy. It's a comment on nature versus nurture. Uh, and it's it's a comment on what makes us who we are and 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 our interpersonal relations and how they're built i i found it fascinating and i almost wish daniel o'malley would have explored it more the idea that this is miffany thomas this is her hardwiring this is her powers but this is without her upbringing mm-hmm. so this is absolutely miffany thomas's per- personality but without Miffany Thomas's childhood. And what does that mean? What does that change about her? And you see a whole different sort of confidence. The lack of confidence of Miffany is because she's thrown into this body without having had an upbringing and, and, and sort of vaguely able to do things because her brain knows how to do them, but with no memory of her past. Whereas Thomas had just sort of been beaten into submission right, over right. the years into not believing in herself and hiding her powers because she scared herself. Um, There was a, I agree with you completely. Um, And I found it too, there were, were, I saw some other comments on the forums about people thinking that her ability to pick things up at the, at the check, was like a little too convenient. Like she didn't seem to have that much trouble. Um, But at the same time, there were people within the, the, the check that knew what was going on. Um, that knew that she had forgotten uh, who she was, and you know, even her, even her assistant was like aware of it and probably yeah. eased the way a bit for a lot of what was going on. Well, and I thought about that particularly in the fact that she is in Miffany Thomas's brain. Mm-hmm. Miffany Thomas's brain has all kinds of things in it that are learned, and so whatever power took her personality away, 
obviously didn't take things she's learned away or she couldn't talk. Right? right, she she wakes up knowing how to speak English and how to walk upright, and how to use uh, an ATM. how to drive a car, yeah. and all of that. So picking up things in the sheke to me feels perfectly natural. In fact, it'd be odder if she didn't know certain things, because it's almost like when you get in the car and you start driving to the movie theater and then you end up at work because you weren't paying attention. Right? Mm-hmm. Like there's just certain things she's going to subconsciously be able to do. And you know, I think also she's just a competent person. I mean, and and there was another comment, and I'm, I really need to write people's names down. I apologize, but they're all in the the thread that Frederick started over on Goodreads. Um, but people were saying, you know, she people she was a, a high ranking member of the court. Yeah, she was not very talkative or social. Uh, most of what people knew about her was that she was quiet and kind of a, a scaredy cat and, and not very mm-hmm. brave and kind of was bookish. And so they didn't really question much about what she did. They just let her do her thing, expecting her to be competent and get the job done. And so really the main difference that they saw was her having this new mm, brave aspect to her. She, you know, she, More of an assertiveness. Assertive yeah. personality. Absolutely. But like most of the people were underlings that couldn't really question her. And the members of the court didn't really know her well enough maybe to, to make that kind of judgment, except for the people who knew what was going on, um, which was, you know, we found out later more than we expected. Yeah. Um, so that was that was it, it kind of made sense. She she put things together. She had the information from Thomas. She had her cheat sheet. She had her purple binder. Um, and so she was able to to kind of get up to speed uh, pretty quickly being a smart, capable person. Yeah. Without the things it, it, to hold her back. In fact, I tilted the other way. The, the, the less believable thing for me is that more folks didn't notice a change in her. But as you say, that she is such a high-ranking officer, underlings just have to put up like, well, mm-hmm. I guess the boss is acting crazy today, and and Ingrid knew, and other people knew, so that explained later, like, oh well, of course they they were letting her get away with things because they they knew that she was struggling. So there, as I mentioned, there's a great thread on Goodreads um, that says story setup clever or cliched by Frederick. Um, he says. When I started reading at first, I thought it was a body swap scenario, same as me. After a bit, it became clear that no, in fact, it was an amnesia plot that was in play, but with a rather novel twist. A bit further on, another thought struck me. Hang on, it said. This is just a sneaky way to legitimize a massive info dump, isn't it? Well, the thought isn't wrong. It's not often I read so much front-loaded with straight-up exposition. On the other hand, the body swap slash amnesia setup paired with the stark contrast between the old and new personalities does provide p- potential for a lot of exciting character interaction. So perhaps, perhaps the B slash Rook book might just pull it off, he says. And there was a lot of very heated discussion about the info dump things and a lot of people in this thread that felt very strongly that that made them not like this book at all, the way that it was set up and that it was just too much exposition and it was too convenient. But to me, it fit in perfectly because that's how Thomas was. She was prepared to the nth degree. She had everything written down. She had every possible scenario figured out in her mind because she was 
the book person. She was the the keeper of the records. She was the person to figure out all the accounting and all the the keeping track of everything within the organization. Uh, organization. So of course that was what she had planned. So for me that it, it fit in perfectly with the story. But a lot of you didn't agree. And I would say if you were reading the exposition and you thought, ah, oh, this letter is tedious. I, I want to get back to action. That is a perfectly reasonable reaction. And, and and people's tastes are going to vary and people's reactions are going to vary. And that's fine. If you were reading it and you said, hold on a minute, I have been told that exposition is bad. And I just realized that what I've been experiencing and enjoying up until this moment <laughs> is exposition. I will now decide to be angry about it. Then I think you need to examine your assumptions. Like if you're having a good time, and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, everyone's told me I shouldn't have a good time. I'm mad now. I, that's just no way to live. Like, <laughs> like, like it, and, and so, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in particular at all, but I would just say like, if, if you legitimately were reading it and thinking, oh man, when is this long letter going to end? I'm so tired. Then that's fine. But if you, if you read it and it was fine and, but there was some concept where you're like, but I must be offended because that's exposition. That's silly to me because exposition is called for by the narrative. It's justified by the experience. It's justified as Veronica just said, by the personality of Miffany. Like there is nothing about this that sticks out in the story. This is in fact a very logical way to prepare for this eventuality. The fact that it also serves to deliver information to the reader is a good thing, like I said, unless you're bored by it. I liked her her backstories. I liked the letters. I thought they were a a, a, a nice look into what Thomas was all about, really. And also yeah. it, it, it made you realize how different Miffany really is, but also kind of showed like what she was missing out on too. Like she had all these things that she just didn't remember at all about her life. And, and she starts kind of putting that together later in the book. And she starts to kind of commiserate with her previous self in, in many ways and, and think like, what would Thomas do in this situation? And I thought that was, I, I liked that. I thought that was nice. I found a lot of this, the letters to read like stories to me. Oh, they, in the in the audiobook especially, they really, really yeah. did. And that was actually one thing that kind of bothered me and someone else in the thread did mention. And it bothered me at the time. It was like, wow, Thomas is really writing with like full quotes. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah. she's like a photographic memory up in here. Like this is... She should have been a novelist like <laughs> Daniel O'Malley. There was, there was not a lot of... The writing style did not change between the the letters yeah. of the past versus the the current telling of, of well, what's happening. Well, I mean, in it's Miffany telling you the story in both cases, right? So there you yes. go. Yes, yeah, but yeah. it's not a no. That, that's why that's why I have a little bit of skepticism about whether people are upset at the info dump or at the idea of info dumps because a lot of those letters just read like stories to me. But maybe that's just me. So if you think about it too hard, I can see why that might bother you. But I tried not yeah. to think about it too hard and just let myself be no, wrapped I, up in the story. That's exactly what I did. Because it occurred to me, too. I'm like, wait a minute. We're, we're getting like full on dialogue. Yes. <laughs> novel style here. But OK, fine. I feel I'm like that's something that he probably was writing at the time and was like, I'm just going to go with it. 
Uh, we'll just it makes it better this, this we'll way. We'll just make this the letter. It's Great. fine. Done. Yeah. And then we had a, a, a message from Joanna who said, uh, this is my second time reading the book. This let me notice a lot more details, clever descriptions, and I think references to other fantasy and horror stories. So I thought I'd set up a thread to collect them and guess at what they reference. I plan to put my answers under spoilers. Can anyone find any others? I confess I blitzed through the Rook and then through the sequel, Stiletto. There are quite a few more references in the sequel. Uh, page 251 of my edition. Uh, I'm not sure if she's referencing actually Stiletto or the Rook here, but she says, Clovis said we hadn't been at this level of security since those creepy blonde kids were wandering around in Windshire. Joanna says, I think this is a reference to either the book The Midwitch Cuckoos or one of my or one of the movies made from it. Uh, the Midwitch Cuckoos uh, is apparently a, a, a film which I've never seen before. Um, but it's a fiction novel written by English author John Wyndham, uh, published in 1957. It's been filmed twice as Village of the Damned. There was also a reference to figuring out why the hell a two-door wardrobe in the spare room of a country house is considered to be a matter of national concern, <laughs> national yeah. which is certainly... Uh, referring to the lie in the witch in the wardrobe. Yeah. There's a few others. Apparently there's a reference to uh, Dr. Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster in Stiletto, um, which I just started, by the way. And uh, maybe perhaps a reference to... Um, um, Sherlock, what, what's Sherlock Holmes's uh, main nemesis? Um, oh my God. I love Sherlock Holmes so much. Uh, why am I having trouble with this? Glass of wine, damn you. Moriarty. Moriarty, Professor Moriarty. Professor Moriarty. And um, Louise notes that the dragon egg is found near Whitby, which is the place where Dracula came ashore. Although Louise says, I might be misremembering that, but I think it's right. And then there was another reference potentially to the uh, island of Dr. Moreau in one of the books as well. So there you go. I, I missed most of these Easter eggs. I, I think I caught the Lion the Witch at the time, uh, but then I forgot about it until it was brought up in this thread. So good eyes, everybody. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Well, I did just start reading Stiletto, and it, it definitely picks up like pretty close to where the last book dropped off, uh, though it does not start with Miffany. And in fact, I don't know if Miffany is going to be a main character or not. I didn't really oh, read the description man. of the book. I want, to spend some, I want to hang out with Miffany. But it, I don't know if I'm going to like this new person. It definitely goes into, um, you know, the the opposing faction a little bit more. Mm, um, the Belgians. Yes, the <laughs> And I have to say, another comment on the forums was uh, about the, there was a whole thread about the, the pronunciation of, of, of various... Um, the grafters? The grafters and uh, Belgium and uh, pronunciations of things. And she did a great job as far as I can tell. Sure. Like, I, I don't I, know. I almost, it sounded I good. I never get uh, picky with uh, audiobook narrators when they are pronouncing things from a fiction book, because who knows, maybe that's the way it's pronounced in that world, as yeah. long as they're consistent. It's uh, Moira Quirk is the narrator of both books. and Yeah, she I liked her. I thought she was great. Phenomenal job, I think. Yeah. Just really, really phenomenal. So I was, I, I highly recommend that if you're, if you're going to be picking up the next book, and if you read it in paper form or Kindle form the first time around, try the audiobook. It's, it's quite a delight. I think that about wraps up this episode of Sword and Later. Every, later, hmm. Sword and laser. Talk Sword to you later. Sword and laser, Hosen. <laughs> our we, show is currently entirely funded by our we patrons. We love Oktoberfest here. 
Thank you to all the folks who back our show. And if you would like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Uh, yes, you can also fi- support the show by buying books through our links. You can find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Go there right now. Drop us an email, feedback at swordandlaser.com. Visit the website at swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! We'll see you in 2017, kids. about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.